Hi, everyone, and welcome again to another one of my podcasts, Podbean podcasts and YouTube videos on GaudiMitzBez22.com. I am joined once again by my good friend, Kale Zeldin, who teaches at a Catholic boarding school up in Rhode Island uh, and not Connecticut. Last time I I think I've twice have said up. I have so many people I know. In it's, Connecticut. it's up here somewhere, right, Larry? It's just, it's, oh, it's just somewhere there. in the wilds of New England, you know, and I'll give a plug. I'm going to be giving a talk at uh, Providence College on April 19th. I do believe it is. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's open, open to the public. Uh, so I will be up in your neck of the woods, Kale, and we yeah. will finally perhaps meet in person and not just virtually. Exactly. I can't wait for it. We're gonna, it's going to be an in-person. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that a, that at least a glass of bourbon will be shared. So uh, hopefully more than one glass. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't, don't want to, you know, uh, get, get ahead of my skis here. So. And if the weather's nice, maybe a cigar outside. Yes, that would be I fantastic. fantastic. I don't know. Anyways, my vice is just multiply as I get old. <laughs> <laughs> and they anyway, uh, I, I asked Kale to come on and just see how that it's only been maybe two or three weeks since our last our last podcast. But I wrote to him and I said, hey, look, I love doing podcasts with you. Everything just flows. Seems so natural. I want to do it again. And so without giving a whole lot of thought to it, Kale said, yeah, let's do it. So here we are. We're doing it again. But today, I, I don't want to necessarily focus on Pope Francis and all the church scandals and all that kind of stuff, although we'll probably eventually drift back in that direction. But uh, today, I, I've been uh, yesterday, I posted on my blog uh, part three of my series on what I call the falsification of the good uh, and a prolepsis of heaven and hell, I, I believe, is, is, is the subtitle Ooh, to it. Prolepsis. I love that uh, word. Uh, yes, I use the word prolepsis and metaxis and metaxu. Ooh, fantastic. And yeah. And so, so my point is that the real drift of part three in this series is an exploration of the nature of sanctity uh, in the modern church, or, or more specifically, the kind of saint that the church needs today. I know that sounds yeah. kind of cliche. What kind of saint do we need today? But I think it's an important question. And I think it's a question that a lot of people are raising, a lot of people are asking. And it's something I've written quite a bit about, actually, in the past year or so, maybe even two years, uh, which is that the, the, modern, the modern believer uh, is caught in the in-between, the metaxu, the, mm -hmm. the, the in-between heaven and earth. Uh, and often maybe even then in the metaxis, the, the in-between of heaven and hell. Right. And so, uh, as, as, as I like to point out, as others have pointed out, it is our lot in this earthly existence that we live neither in heaven nor in hell. Mm -hmm. And yet we can have what a prolepsis, which is just a fancy word of a foretaste or mm -hmm. a forexperience or some intimation mm -hmm. of both. It's possible to taste a little bit of heaven. But it's in also, fact, you know, I, I, I might say that 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 it's necessary that it's necessary um, to yes. sort of have a kind of imaginative, proleptic uh, sort of shooting forth of something with which you can kind of aim aim for. I mean, I I think that that that's what um, I mean. Heaven, you know, sort of I think functions as that kind of um, prolepsis, does it not? Yes, it does. And of course, as baptized and having the Holy Spirit. We, we do expect to have those kinds of foretastes of heaven, mm -hmm. those foreshadowings of heaven, those, those little experiences of, mm -hmm. of heavenly life and heavenly existence. Mm -hmm. And of course, 
the debate and what we the theological what we call eschatology is always between a realized or a futuristic eschatology. Mm-hmm. Just how immediate is our experience of heaven? How realized mm-hmm. it's the already? It's already here, or the not yet is oh, yeah. most of our is 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 a proleptic foretaste of hell just a mere hint or is it more robust mm-hmm. uh so it's a realized versus a futuristic eschatology but the, i i also emphasize in the piece that there's we have a prolepsis of hell in this life this is what sin brings to us yeah. sin actually brings us uh, the devastating effects of what hell uh, hell feels like in this life and my point is is that it is christ on the cross and his descent into hell that bridges that metaxis, that is, in a sense, the the theandric, the God-man uh, mm. who, 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 you know, bridges the gap of, of the in-between, mm. and that our participation in that is a participation in the bridging of that gap between heaven and hell, between earth and heaven, earth and hell. And therefore, and, here's my, my, go, ahead. go ahead. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, you know, uh, uh, the cross, of course, stands at the crux of that. Uh, this is this is the, you know, uh, you know, the sort of uh, I think it's Heidegger who sort of talked about this idea of the gathering of the fourfold. You know, the you know the 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 lateral and the horizontal. You know, the the past and and the future. The 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 up and the down. Right. So that we we yes. we have to kind of um um go on that cross with our Savior in in in, in some um you know. Uh, imaginative and 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 super real way um and and maybe that is part of kind of maybe what you're getting at larry that you know what what kind of saint does the church need you know maybe uh maybe it's difficult for us to even conceive of that because we don't like hard things that's right and it's a hard thing to do to bridge that gap to live and this is my point um I wrote a blog piece about a year ago called or two years ago, Evangelization and Guardini's Threshold. Romano mm-hmm. Guardini, mm-hmm. in his book on melancholy, talks mm-hmm. about how uh, we, he doesn't call it the metaxis or get all fancy or the in-between. Mm-hmm. He just says we live we live in this life on the threshold, in the three, mm-hmm. in the threshold mm-hmm. between this life and the next. And yeah. it precisely is what constitutes our humanity. And the essence of our humanity can be found in the fact that we are we are in a sense stuck in this threshold experience. And he says that this is what sanctity is made, and true evangelization has to take into consideration. Okay, so here, here's here's my, here's the my point, yeah, which is that in an era of deep unbelief, which we are suffering through today, which I think is unique in the history of the world. Okay, an era of deep nihilistic nullification of God, as I call it, and unbelief. It is no longer possible, as Balthazar points out, for the evangelist to presume a certain natural religiosity on the part of those others outside of the church, those, those others in our culture. You can't, like the missionaries of old could at least presume, yeah. as they stumbled upon ancient pagans, a certain natural pagan religiosity to mm-hmm. the unknown God, St. Paul mm-hmm. says on the Areopagus. Mm-hmm. Well, there is no unknown God anymore. There is, there's nothingness. Uh, what, what modernity represents is the erasure of all binding addresses, as Peter Berger, the sociologist, calls. Mm, that's a great way to put it. Uh, we have no binding address, no binding spiritual address. Modernity erases 
our binding spiritual addresses. And therefore, my, my, my point is the saint has got to be one who can now, through a process of vicarious suffering and empathy, enter into that deep, deep, profound nihilistic unbelief for the sake of the unbeliever and conjure up connaturally a feel for it, mm. which is going to be then in some sense, something that pushes the modern saint kind of to the fringes, even of Christianity, as, as you're going out as far as you can go to the edges, to the fringes, to the peripheries, as Pope Francis is always saying, go to the, I think this is what Pope Francis means when he says, let's go to the peripheries, let's go to the margins, let's leave our comfort zones, forget doctrine for a while. He's, you know, I think he's wrong to say stuff like this sometimes, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get my mind around the guy. Well, well, yeah, oh, so go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, I remember in a former conversation, <coughs> a prior conversation you and I had maybe two years ago now, I don't, I don't remember the, the days sort of blur away uh, as, as you get into this post fifties world. Um, but we, one, I remember being uh, initially very um, excited and, and, and thrilled, frankly, when I heard Pope Francis talk in those terms, you know, I was really excited when he talked, when he started talking about going and <sighs> going to the peripheries. And I was really excited, you know, when he was talking about, frankly, you know, the evils and the nastiness of clericalism and, 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 and these sorts of things. And, and I was really hopeful because I thought he was going to kind of herald in um, finally a kind of, or prepare a church finally for a host Christian reality that yes. I could just sort of feel in the marrow of my bones. You know, I know there's a there's a, a an evangelical uh, yeah an evangelical writer by the name of Aaron Wren, and he runs a newsletter called um, The Masculinist, and he's really quite good. And he's put this taxonomy in First Things and other places, but he first developed it on on his Substack, um, The Masculinist, and he talked about you know, a kind of positive world Christianity, a, a neutral world Christianity, and finally a negative world Christianity. Now, he's, of course, writing this in specifically the American Evangelical Register. But um, I, as always, think that these are sort of patterns that replicate themselves in in, yeah, in, in, well, sure. in, in, in our world, too, as as to Roman Catholics. And um, it, it really does seem like the institutional church has lagged behind um, a, a recognition that we do not live in the world in which you know you had um, uh, a robust and um, right. uh, uh, an authoritative church who could speak with clarity and purpose, right? And 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 unfortunately, I would just say, and again, I, I don't want to make this sort of like a, a nasty podcast today um, for whatever reason. Um, I, I really feel like we have exchanged one uh, version of head in the sand strategy for another version of head yes. in the sand strategy, right? So that the answer is not 
um, to sort of tack over to kind of the 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 the, the soft, the soft uh, warm embrace of secular humanism and the um, deracinated and disenchanted worldview that that they seem to offer, but rather, frankly, to tack to a kind of weird and wild. Um, uh, more weird, more wild, more radical version of of Christianity in the face of a world that I think you and I would both agree is is pretty inimical to um, the fundaments of the of the gospel, you know. But I, I don't see that, um, and and so uh, it, it's it seems like yet another attempt to be sort of differently bourgeois. Oh, I agree. Uh, by the way, I just uh, I want to read you a second. Can you still see me, by the way? Yeah, all good. Uh, oh, okay, good. Because I, I just, I just, I'm going to read something that was in the blog post okay. uh, that I posted just along those very same lines. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say, I'll just read this now. Yeah, and, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I could put it up on the whiteboard, but I, I, I'm afraid of losing. But anyway, <laughs> I say, I, I, I further suspect that the kind of sanctity we will see today is of a new kind that will give the appearance of a worldliness that many pious and tender souls might find shocking. We will see more and more holy people speaking openly of their prolepsis, a foretaste of heaven, as requiring of them a descent into the prolepsis of hell with Christ as the point of contact that makes this action possible. And this descent can and will take on many different forms depending on your state of life, blah, blah, blah. But then I come down here. Oh, okay. And that the, the suffering of the saint refuses assimilation both to the world uh, of, of modernity and the world of the church, the, mm. insofar as that church is still one of power and wealth, clinging to the last vestiges of its Potemkin village of institutional respectability. Uh -huh, so that's yeah. kind of, it's just Amen. bullshit on both ends. So, but then I yeah. say this, here is where I find Pope Francis to be both unbelievably attuned to the need of the church to move out of itself and into the in, in between of engagement with the world, church as field hospital and all that. Mm -hmm. But I also find him unbelievably obtuse as to what this means or how mm -hmm. it is to proceed. His response seems to hinge on participating via the path of empathy, empathy with those because of sin who are on the peripheries, mm -hmm. but without bringing along heaven as a restorative remedy. He has lost the Christological point of contact and has opted instead for the mythology of modern globalism and moral latitudinarianism. Mm. As such, he represents to me one of the greatest missed opportunities in the modern church. What could have been a papacy of energized lay sanctity for the sake of the world out of the heart of the church became instead a papacy fixated on a quasi-Martianite theology that pits the angry God of doctrines and commandments against the kind God of antinomian love. That's so, right. That's right. You know. That's right. And that and that's that unfortunate pitting, uh, you know, the sort of the nasty, you know, the nasty CDF or the DDF now, right? The the nasty, the you know, the you know, uh, you know, against you know the the sort of you know freedom, you know, from all yeah. that kind of oppressive doctrine yeah. type stuff. And and I just I just find that um, to be uncompelling. Like really just, just, oh, and, and as someone who lives, um, and works with, 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 with kids every day, it's just, it's so, uh, 
I mean, I know it's kind of passe to say now, or or it's sort of tired to hear, you know, someone, you know, conservative like me say, you know, that that, you know, when you chase relevance, you know, you you become a clown. But it, it's really true. It's really yeah. true. Uh, you know, that 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 the secular world uh has nothing uh but contempt for churchmen and women who would chase after um the affirmation that they have on offer. It, it it's it's um yeah. It it remains true. You know, however and often that, you may have heard a conservative say it, it's true, actually. Yeah, it's true. And it, it's cliche, but it's true mm -hmm. uh, that the more the church seeks after relevance, the less relevant it becomes. And uh, I think especially because when the church, for whatever reason, when the church seeks after relevance, it's always like 30 years behind. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, it's a really bad version of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's just it's it's out of date as soon as it's in date or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But to return to the main thing, you know, this is people often, I think, misunderstand our criticism, say, of of the current papacy as mm -hmm. as flowing out of just sort of an angry traditionalism. How dare this pope, you know, poke holes in Tridentine Catholicism's massive scholastic yeah. edifice and so and, on. And, and that so is forth. just such a misread, certainly of you. And I know I don't put myself out there quite as much as you do in terms yeah. of the writing. I mean, that could it is it is such a caricature of of where I come from and or or that it's some you know i'm I'm tired of the smear of you know u.s conservative catholics you know and it's like what like yeah, what are you talking yeah. about like i'm not oh, some like secret member of like a republican you know uh uh special interest oh, i know like, it's i just mean so I, gosh, yeah because i wrote so many articles against the synod on synodality michael sean witters over at the national catholic reporter mm -hmm. actually mentioned me in some report and did exactly what you just said like i'm one of those far right wing groups like the you know i guess you know the napa institute yeah and yeah whatever and I, you know i just and I, i'm just this right wing flaming catholic no right, i'm not right and, and of course remember you can't say us conservative catholic without adding well funded conservative u.s catholic and of course if that's the case man you and i need to line up because we are not on that particular payroll yet so like sign us up if i'm going to get the smear i might as well get the paycheck you know well funded boy i ain't funded at all <laughs> i know, you know it's I, just I, too I, funny I, I tell you we live on the edge of yeah i know you and i both yeah, live on we the edge of poverty this. all yeah. the dang time yeah you know and uh i can barely make ends meet in fact we don't make ends meet and we are catholic workers here on our farm anyway That's right but anyway so the point though is this that in talking about modern day sanctity i was like you when when pope francis first hit and, you know, some of his first things came out and so on. It's like, yes, this guy gets it. He understands. Mm -hmm. He understands that the old Constantinian institutional form of the church is dead. It's as dead as disco. Totally. Totally. And, and 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 it's not coming back. I'm like, maybe disco is coming back. I don't know. But know. it's not coming back. And he understands, therefore, that the church has to reshape its message, reformulate its message and so on. Mm -hmm retool itself. Great. I got on board with all that. Yeah. And then and so, yeah, you go to the peripheries. And so I'm thinking that I'm thinking, you know, modern sanctity is going to be among those people who understand the need to really launch out into the deep water, as John Paul said, and yeah. the deep water, both of a deep Christian spiritual understanding of things, a deep mysticism on your own, but also the deep water 
of empathetic, vicarious suffering for the sake mm-hmm. of the other, of entering into the pain of the modern world. Mm-hmm. And that the modern saint needs to bring both of those things to the peripheries. And I thought, oh, Pope, this is clearly what Pope Francis is talking about. Mm-hmm. But bit by bit, drip by drip, brick by brick, mm-hmm. it became clear whether you're talking chapter eight of Amoris Laetitia or the latest fiducia supplicans or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that what we're talking about are simply the peripheries of sexual minorities. Right. And it's what you, it's such a fascinating bait and switch. You know, it's like, you know, because on the one hand, you know, I'm sure you've gotten smeared with this one too, you know, that, oh, you know, you all are obsessed with sex. And it's sort of like, you know, actually, truth be told, I'm not actually obsessed with sex. No. In fact, you know, it, it's it's real. It's powerful. Um, it's something to be respected uh, in its proper context. It is beautiful and literally generative. I mean, like, what's more, what's more, what's better than that, right? Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's not. It's not the thing I wake up in the morning thinking about it and go to bed. You know, it's 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 not. It's it's, and yet here we are. That at each synod now uh, seems to be about that, right? And and, and, and in a weird sort of way, and and you wonder like why? Like why is it? Why it always seems to keep going back to that? And then and then somebody who's again conservative like me or conservative like you then gets accused of being obsessed with sex, and I'm like. I'm not the one obsessed with sex. It just keeps getting, it keeps coming up and coming up and coming up and coming it up. It really does. I mean, it, it really, really does. I mean, look at it. The first sin is sitting on the family. Yeah. What was all the brouhaha about? Well, are we going to have divorced and remarried Catholics be allowed to commune? In other words, a, a sexual morality thing. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the should we say something about LGBTQ? Okay. Right. And of or, course, or, the or, Am- yeah. go ahead. No, no, no. Keep going. Amazon. Yeah. Well, then the Amazon summit and the whole thing wasn't about how do we tailor the message of the gospel to Amazonian cultures? Should we have married priests in the Amazon? Right. Right. So once again, a, a, a sort of sexual morality sort of thing. And then comes along the sit on the youth. And right. instead of really focusing on the crisis that really afflicts the youth of today, which is mm-hmm. a crisis of techno pagan porn, pornified. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Okay, or or dislocation, uh, cosmopolitan dislocation. And so anyway, no, it's like, well, we have to talk about LBGTQ, LGBTQ. And of course, at the latest Synod on Synodality, the whole thing was, what are we going to say about LGBTQ, LGBTQ? It just seems like every time you turn around, they're the ones, the progressives are the ones that are bringing up. Well, should we talk about divorce and remarried? Should we talk about celibacy? Should we talk about LGBTQ? Right. And then, then, then completely, and, and, then, the real, and then the latest, right? <coughs> you know, which is which is you know this, uh, uh, you know, uh, Cardinal Fernandez Tucho or Tucho, uh, as I've heard people jokingly call him. You know, it's like this really actually weird obsession um, that that verges into the creepy. Um, perfect to be perfectly honest with. And there you. are new writings that emerged today or yesterday. Oh. Good, yeah. good. There Excellent. are new writings from his period in the mid to late thirties, where his thirties, not nineteen thirties. Yeah, his thirties, where he wrote similarly orgasmic sort of things. Okay, you know, Larry, it's you know, again, I, I you know, I'm resisting this, but I, I gotta, I gotta say something. It's, it's weird, man. It's just weird. It is freakishly weird. It's kind of a, a creepy kind of grooming. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, as I've said, and others have said, 
And I don't mind talking about this. I, I figured yeah, we kind of drift either. in, the, like as yeah. I said at the beginning, we drift in this direction because we what are. we're talking about is sanctity. Uh-huh. No, this is the point. What is disappointing is that a papacy that that had every opportunity, and I want to come back to this, mm-hmm. every opportunity to become a, a pope of the lay revolution of sanctity, mm-hmm. a pope who truly understood the need for a lay revolution of the church, as Dorothy Day said, and it has been derailed. It's been derailed by this kind of stuff. And, and, and instead of saying, oh, you guys are always harping on the pope. Well, let's take a look. Why in the heck did this pope promote Fernandez to this job? He seems wholly unsuited to it. And if you look at the kind of salacious garbage that he was writing in his 30s, you know, says, oh, I wouldn't write that today. Well, why wouldn't you write it today? Yeah, right, right, right. Well, because and then he then he throws it back on us because it's so open to misinterpretation. Uh, oh, so the problem is. You know, oh, we've misinterpreted. Oh, sorry. We're the benighted ones. We're the ignorant sure. ones. We're the obtuse ones who just don't get the as as Gavin Ashenden calls it, the sex magic at work in, yeah. in your writings. We don't get the sex magic stuff. It's creepy. Right. And, and you know. It's also again, I I, I want to, you know, remind myself of this, maybe as we do this out loud, it's an un forced obsession like in other words it's not even like a response to a specific crisis you know if you want to if you want to look at a a mature response to a specific crisis you know go go no further than you know the, the the series of 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 papal audiences in early on in John Paul II's, you know, papacy, where he does, where he lays out and he's sort of working out this, the, the theology of the body. And I, and I partake, I take particular um, offense on behalf of uh, John Paul II when this sort of lazy, casual uh, equivocation between the work of John Paul II and his theology of the body and cardinal fernandez it's that you you cannot be more unserious if you make that kind of comparison you know it's it's uh it's scandalous to suggest that this is what saint john paul ii was doing um and it is a attempt to bury the strange weird darkness of this obsession that that cardinal fernandez nursed at least in his 30s you know yeah at least in his 30s and probably beyond when you look at the fact that one of the first things he does is head of the dd office issue fiducius supplicans which oh come on it was all about the gay blessings everybody knows it was Mm -hmm. about the gay blessings Mm -hmm. he finally got around to talking about it towards the middle of the end of the document oh and by the way this whole new doctrine of blessings we've just developed now allows us to bless those in irregular unions like gay couples and and the divorce and remarried and so on um (laughs) and then the other you know the other part of the commentary you know that surrounds these things is like you know the 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 glee uh for instance in certain corners um that have strangely become the main line uh, of 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 roman catholicism in the year of our lord 2024 is the is the the real excitement that finally we have a papal document that 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 references lgbtq persons you know acknowledging yeah, their existence yeah, and yeah. and this sort of thing and and you know i'm 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 left to sort of pull out the the remaining bits of my 
ever thinning hair over the just poor, poor anthropology uh, that they can just smuggle these things in um, and and to celebrate it. It's just it's it's rough, man. It's rough to sort of watch the the the, the games being played, the verbal games and the political games being played. You know, it's um, it's yeah. it's a it's a hard thing to sit and watch. It, 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 it's very oh my god, yeah. Talking about pulling out what few hairs. Here's the here's you talked about John Paul's theology of the body, and comparing that with uh, Fernandez's stuff in in his thirties. <clears throat> here's the interesting thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Number one, I was never a huge fan of theology of the body, and we'll get back to that in a second. Mm -hmm. uh, but but for starters, let's say. Yeah. One of the problems that I have with those like Austin Ivory and others is saying, well, this is just his version of the theology of the body. And mm -hmm. if we're going to disallow him, we need to disallow John Paul, who also spoke. No, John Paul didn't right. speak in this. Here, right. There's a there's a difference between John Paul's theology of the body and what Fernandez is doing on the level of basic theological principle. And the difference is Balthazar is trying Balthazar. John Paul is trying to develop the sacramentality of our right. bodiliness, and he doesn't fixate on sex. He mentions it here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the problem with the Christopher West reductions and sure, that sure. sort of, of, of the th th for in all of the talks that the popularizers of it gave to teenagers and stuff was that it became chastity talks right, and, and right. sex that were somewhat lurid even. And that's correct. I mean, when you correct. actually read, when you read John Paul's theology, of the body, it's got none of that luridness in it. It wasn't fixated on chastity and sex. It was a developing a it's a theology of the body, a sacramentality of the entirety of our bodiliness. And it has implications with regard to not just sex, but transgenderism and and gluttony and yeah. smoking no, and a whole know, manner of things. You're but, right. It's it's a book about anthropology or it's a work. More than, it, it, yeah. It's a work so on anthropology, which, of course, to me, why I like liked it and like it. Uh, is that it? It is. It's also, of course, you know, for those of you who are familiar with it, it is a. It is a way. It's ultimately trinitarian, right? That it foregrounds yes. relationality, um, sexed relationality. Yes, of course, right. But but with an eye toward complementarity, um, and with an eye toward what you know. It's almost as if John Paul II asked the question: What does it mean that God will marry His Church? Right. And it yes. is through that, that, that kind yes. of the notion of the Hieros Gamos, it is through that where he then goes back and, well, where do we see uh, uh, imminent instantiations of that eschatological icon, right? Yeah. You know, this, this thing to be. Um, that's so, so to call that a fixation on orgasms <laughs> is yeah, crazy it's, talk. It's, it's crazy, crazy talk. <clears throat> Not only that, and here, let me, let me go on and say yeah. this. Let me say this. I think one of the things that motivated John Paul to do the theology of the body mm -hmm. was precisely because of a criticism that was leveled against humane vitae, which, right. of course, John Paul, perhaps even ghost wrote parts of it. Yeah. That's the rumor anyway. Yeah. But humane vitae obviously is a very short and, and small encyclical. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the critics of humane vitae, uh, I think, to their credit, point out, I, I disagree with them ultimately yeah. in their but to their credit, point out that the theological apparatus and argument within humani vitae against contraception is relatively thin. You know, it's yes. simply Can very, you explain very that? Can you explain well, that it, again? Okay. It's we're simply, friendly, an, we're friendly it's simply an argument from basic natural law teleology that says, look, 
there's two there's two purposes to the sex act uh, procreation and then the unitive aspect of love and passion between a married couple bringing them closer together mm-hmm. one of the things that humana vitae does seem to do in a sense of in changing church teaching in a subtle way mm-hmm. was previous to humana vitae the focus always said that procreation is the primary end of marital sex and the unitive love dimension is the second uh, end of marital sex, but procreation is the primary end. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a, a, a in humana vitae there's a kind of leveling of those it's a leveling a, a non-hierarchical say, leveling. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and say so they're both co-equal in humana vitae. Right. That, that they that both aspects must be there, and right. I actually think that is a valid thing to okay. say. Okay. Okay. Uh, because in the in the old old thing that says well procreation is number one. And, and the unitive aspect is, is secondary, then I think that that would imply that it would be perfectly moral for a married couple to simply have sex for the purposes of procreation, even if the sex had no love significance to it of any kind. I see, I see what you're saying. And yeah, so yeah, what, yeah. what Paul the Six is, you know, he's saying, look, okay, obviously couples can have sex with the goal of having procreation in mind children, we yeah. you know those of us who have tried to have children we know what that involves that's sometimes right. you're not in the mood and you say oh well yeah. you're ovulating now so okay let's do, <laughs> let's go you know yeah, so yeah. let's go but still nevertheless there's a love dimension there there's a love mm-hmm. and so paul the six is bringing this out and say okay they're co-equal but but then he says but both have to be present otherwise the teleology of the act is is ruined mm-hmm. is thwarted and therefore contraception is immoral can't use it Okay, that's all well and good. <clears throat> that's the basic teleological argument from natural law. But it does leave a lot of gaps in exceptional cases. And, you know, do what do you say, for example, to a woman who's already had 10 kids and now has health sure. issues? Yeah. Are you going to say, oh, that you're not open to life if you mm-hmm. have your husband put on a condom or something? Mm-hmm. And so these extreme cases were always tossed out there and said, oh, humanity. So I think what John Paul is doing in the theology of the body to a greater or less extent is he's giving the broader theological apparatus. He's giving the background. The tri- I'm glad you brought this up. The anthropological background, which is grounded in the ecclesiological and the Trinitarian and the Christological background. He's doing all that because ultimately, here's the point. The theology of the body is trying to create a broader argument against contraception right. and the entire descent from Catholic moral theological teaching. That's its purpose. That's its goal. It's trying to buttress Catholic moral theology with a broader theological apparatus. On the other hand, fiducius supplicans. Is well, the- well, hold on. I want, I press pause on that. I want to get to FS in a second. So then, so then now insert, just for the sake of, our, of your audience here, how do you appreciate uh, now Cardinal Fernandez's work, uh, uh, which seems to fixate not so much on uh, you know what we might call the procreative or the unitive, but rather uh, a kind of phenomenological oh, exploration yeah. of orgasms. Like, and, yeah, I'm glad. What you, is that? I was leaping too far ahead to finish. Yeah, like, we'll get there. I, but let's... I, I, yeah, I wanted to. Yeah, I'm, actually, what I wanted to talk about when I started talking about this, and I lost my train of thought, was uh, <laughs> Fernandez's more salacious writings because. Mm-hmm. Those who are making the claim, like Austin Ivory and Mike Lewis and people like, hey, this is just theology of the body kind of in a less erudite way. No, it's not. If you analyze the theological principles of Fernandez's writings, you can tell that there's no 
There's no hint anywhere that what he's trying to do is to give a broader theological apparatus to the church's teaching in order to buttress that teaching. In order, right. to, in other words, he's just he's just talking about orgasms and things in the abstract. He he, yeah. Yeah, he mentions it in a marital context here and there, but clearly, in almost everything that he wrote about sex in his, in his 30s could be extrapolated and applied to gay sex, uh, premarital sex, extramarital sex. I mean, because he's just right in the abstract. Or masturbation. So, I mean, in other words, like, it, like in other words, it's like it's this weird um, uh, a contextual uh, fixation. And for that on... reason, it's Gnostic. This right, is my point. Right, Whereas right. John Paul's theology of the body was scoping out a profound sacramentality, right. which is anti-Gnostic, meaning right. that our bodies have a language that speaks to us in moral categories mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that we have to pay attention to. That's right. That's right. Hernandez is abstracting the orgasmic, as as Gavin Ashenden says, you know, it's yeah. like sex magic. No, he's exactly this, right about that. There's this direct link between sexual ecstasy and experiencing God. There's a Gnostic quality to this, because we have to remember the Gnostic disparagement of the body. And this is my claim that Fernandez is actually disparaging the body here. The Gnostic disparagement of the body. Oh, the body is completely unimportant. The only thing that's important is your soul led to two different Gnostic pathways. Hmm. One was right. a hyper Manichaean denial, ascetical of the the sex is what drags your spirit. Yeah, down. Like it's a, sort of a, a warmed over uh, or maybe a, a boiled over Jansenism, right? Exactly. That was one yeah. of. But there was another Gnostic approach, and the other Gnostic approach was a wild sexual libertarianism. That simply right. said, well, because the body doesn't matter, orgasms, sex. There's a, there's an amoral quality to these things, and so they did seek some kind of spiritual enlightenment mm -hmm. from from having sex. And, and sex and however they preferred it, because to them, the body is of no moral significance whatsoever. That's, right. That's the impression you. that I Thank get you. from reading these salacious excerpts from Fernandez's mm -hmm. early books. I get a sense of there's no moral dimension to any of this. There's just a direct link between the biological pleasure of orgasm uh -huh. and somehow my erotic ascent to God. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. And, you know, if, if we are tasked, as I think, as I believe we are to, you know, you know, read the signs of the times, um, you know, what I see around me um, is exactly that dynamic, right? Uh, that in, you know, 2024, let's use my, my students as, uh, <clears throat> as an example, you know, the big thing that they are going to be tempted with and are being tempted with, right, is the lie uh, that that sex doesn't mean anything, right? That, 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 that yeah. love doesn't mean anything. Um, and so therefore, um, if love is off the table, if meaning is off the table, then, you know, experiences are really the only thing that that's kind of left. And so, you know, um, uh, love the one you're with, right? Uh, <laughs> as, as, as the song, as our, as a boomer love anthem. Love the one you're with. Right. You know, yeah. and, 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 and love of course, isn't not, isn't even love. In other words, it's, you know, screw the one you're with. And, and I think that, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I think, uh, that, that is, uh, a tremendous, um, scandal. And I mean, you know, I'm using that word very deliberately. I mean, that is a tremendous scandal to convince, um, people that their bodies are irrelevant, that they are not even their bodies, right. That they are something else. Like this is a, this is, um, um, this is a, a violation of, 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 uh, 
of what the church has stood for for a long time. But it's a it's a tremendous lack of respect, I think, for um, the actual power of sexuality and sex. It's um, and it might, maybe that yes. might, I don't know if does that sound counterintuitive to you, but I really I have a sense that this is, <coughs> is really the case. I've often said uh, sex is at one and the same time, strangely, paradoxically, uh, one of the most important aspects of our being and also at the same time, some one of the most trivial aspects of our being. Uh, and and, and uh, you, we, I think we experience that on, on a very fundamental level. Uh, uh, it, it is possible for us, for example, to compartmentalize our sex lives, and so, especially men, I think, in very strange ways. Oh, for sure. Whereas at the same time, it's also this all pervasively important thing. Look, yeah. um, and, and, I, and I see this along these lines in about, you know, this isn't really love. This is just sex. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and mm -hmm. the young people of today need some some message more than not, none of this really matters. Yeah. So, and this goes to going to the peripheries, you know, sadly, with regard to Fernandez and, and, and the other papal people that you know that surround the, the this pope there uh, for example, I, I can't stand their usage of of terms like those are just pelvic issues i cannot ah, yes. stand it when people yeah. say yeah. oh that's just pelvic issues those are just the pelvic issues mm -hmm. and i've actually seen pope francis it, he gave a talk one time where he said we fixate too much on set on, on sins below the waist sins below the waist as if i i know what he means okay he's saying sins that involve sex Okay, but to then call that sins below the waist is to trivialize it. It's, well, it's to also, say it's also to, it's also to to slice up the soul. Yeah, right? exactly. Well, as as if we're not as if we're not also heart and head, right? To go if back it, to that Gnostic thing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That those bits are not important. Yeah, that's and, what and, that's and, saying. And disconnected, right? And yeah. and and you know, for me, the 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 radical witness of the church. Um, has been, and she has worked this out uh, over the ages, truly, right? Um, but you can see it at, right at the beginning uh, with St. Paul, right? And St. Paul predates the Gospels formally, as we understand it. We know this, right? But St. Yeah. Paul, right from the beginning, is working out this idea that we are icons of the living God bodily. We are icons of the living God, the scandal of the incarnation, right? And, and therefore... Um, you know, this is a mystery, right? But it is a mystery that we have seen um, overcorrected to, you know, to one side or the other throughout um, the course of human history since um, the time of Jesus, right? And that, you know, you can, you can chart all the various heresies in some kind of way, I think, as an attack on the fundamental unity of body and soul. And, and, and therefore, to, to see us um, um, unnecessarily relitigating these strange, you know, um, yeah. uh, thought settled, um, um, matters of, 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 of teaching, um, in, in, in order to better accompany, uh, see, this is where I'm having a hard time understanding yeah. what the purpose of this is, right? What exactly are we doing, um, in like what 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 do we sorry let me rephrase this what are we hoping to achieve with this this kind of work right so that's that's why I think it's it's so 
obvious in in some sense that that the the, the person uh, that would be chosen to kind of push this this new thing, which is really an old thing, through uh, is Cardinal Fernandez and and FS. Right. I think that that's an important part of the backdrop that it is. Again, it's so obvious that he's, of course, the one that will do this. Um, it, it could only kind of be him, right? You know, yeah. so, so, so how are you reading yeah. FS and, and, and in this well, context that we've sketched out? Well, I'm reading it as essentially saying, oh, come on, everybody. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we know that most of these people that are divorced and remarried, that their sex is just fine. Oh, yeah. come on. We know there's not that big a deal with gay sex. It goes back to my thing. Sins below the waist, pelvic issues. Mm -hmm. As you said, cut carving up the soul. And what they want to say is, uh, you know, the only thing that matter are sins like greed and pride and hatefulness and those sorts of things and the things that are anti-love. Mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. but biological sins, uh, you know, physical. I mean, there was Charles. Right. So, so back in, in, other back words, in the day, Charles Curran accused ah, people yeah. like you and me of biologism. Uh, what is that? What is that? I, never, I, didn't, I don't remember oh, that. Uh, biologism. You were a biologist if you reduced morality to simply the teleology of biological actions. Uh, yes, All right. So you are very a similar. biologist. Very, very similar to saying, oh, those are just pelvic gifts. This yeah. is how I read fiducia. Yeah. yeah okay, I okay, read yeah. it as saying, well, we can do these blessings because come on, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. We all know say no more, that say no, more. say no more, say no more, that it's not really that big a deal. Come on, people lighten up. But yeah. and that's why I like to point out in this context and use outrageous examples. Mm -hmm. You would not say this if instead of a gay couple or a divorce and remarried couple, you had an incestuous couple coming forward, right. a father with his adult daughter coming together to say, oh, well, we're in a relationship now, Father, we want you to bless those good aspects. Don't bless our union. We're not right. requiring that. But please just bless us to help us be better people. Well, of course, the priest is going to look at him and say, get out of here. Of and he's going to come into my office. I want to have a chat with you, too, That's because right. everybody would understand there's something deeply immoral in that relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but when it comes to gay sex or, you know, divorce and remarriage, oh, forget about it. It's no big deal. Come on. Let's just bless those people. And and that's a, that's my take on it. Yeah. And, and I'm always, uh, I've been tuned to um, the language of just, right? Oh, that's just. And oh, yeah. you know, we know what this, you know, it's uh, to me, and this is something, you know, I think you have talked about with great um, uh, insight and passion, you know, which is we really see a church, institutional church, and I think that we can tie this back to your, your original comments here. We really see a church that seems to have forsaken its divine calling, its supernatural calling. Yes. And it, it, that's, that's, I think, Larry, like, I think that's the part that, that saddens me deeply. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it is a, it is, and, it, and it's sad because I, I kind of have harbored these suspicions. I didn't want to say it out loud, you know, but it's like, man, it just really looks like a bunch of people uh, in charge don't believe the thing. That's right. They don't yeah. believe it. You, you know, the thing is, Joe Biden said the thing yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, and they don't believe the thing. They really don't. I had an article in Catholic Old Report that came out a couple of weeks ago.
mm-hmm. but an experience I had in confession where I wasn't confessing anything sexual or no mortal mm-hmm. sins or anything, mm-hmm. but I was confessing lack of charity, you know, blah, sure. blah, blah. And it was very, they were, they were sins. Yeah. And yet the priest was like, essentially, ah, oh, forget about it. Get it. He tried to make me feel guilty about like Coming I was a confession. Yeah, that I was scrupulous. The only yeah, sin I yeah. seemed to have been guilty of was scrupulosity. Right, so I wrote right. an oral article about this. Is this is the church? This is what we've been living. I've been living with for fifty years of my sixty-five years. This is the church I grew up with, and it's a church that's still with us. Still, and what I want to point out: look, mm-hmm. and to bring it back to where we started about sanctity and and right. the call to holiness. What kind of saints we need today? Look at the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Look at the pattern that Jesus followed in his ministry. It is true that Jesus reached out to sinners. It is true that he dined with tax collectors and prostitutes and so on and so forth. But it is also true that he held his followers to very, very, very higher and be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He says to whom much is given, then therefore much is required. And when it came time to do the last supper, he didn't sit down with tax collectors and prostitutes. He went to an upper room and That's did right. it in this with this within the secrecy, whatever you want to call privacy, privacy yeah. of just his closest, his closest disciples, which meant this is not this meal I am now having with you is not the same thing as the meals I had in the homes of tax collectors and prostitutes. That's exactly in other right. words. The Gospels have this strange dynamic of both mm-hmm. this wicked called holiness, like yeah. to, you, yeah. to mix but wicked yeah. call. Be perfect. Do yeah. this. The Sermon on the Mount. Who can live the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, high bar stuff. In other words, high bar right. stuff. Yeah, high bar stuff. But then he combines that with forgive endlessly. That's right. Compassionate That's right. endless. And that is something the church has understood for 2000 years. You hold people to a high standard. And then when they fail and fail and fail and fail and fail, yeah. so long as they are desirous of starting again and repenting, you, you forgive, forgive, forgive free. So you are at one and the same time, a church of high standards and a church of deep compassion, yeah. both at this understanding of the human condition, what we have now in all of this, Oh, you know, it's no big deal. It's just pelvic issues. What we have is let's dine with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and let's tell them there's nothing that they're doing wrong. Keep on with your tax collector. Right. Keep on with. I even saw a thing from James Martin last week where he was talking about the call. He said when Jesus called uh, Matthew to be a disciple, and of course, Matthew was a dreaded tax collector. Yeah, James yeah. Martin says, notice he didn't first ask Matthew to repent. He didn't require an expression of repentance from Matthew. Could could you have a more open agenda, James Martin? Aren't aren't what you really saying is, well, we're not going to expect the gay people to repent, are we? Come on. We didn't even expect the tax collectors to repent. So there you have it explicitly. Essentially, James Martin saying we don't expect repentance of people before they come into the church or at least come into baptism and so on. This is what we're up against. The church that, as you just put it, doesn't believe in repentance anymore because it doesn't really believe in sin anymore. And and therefore, Larry, I I don't think it's a stretch. You know, I I, I genuinely wonder, do they believe in salvation? Um, And, and, you know, and, and maybe for our audience here, you know, what, you know, how are we as Catholics to understand salvation? Like, what is that? You know, is it is it ease of mind? Is it like everything? You know, yeah. what what do we actually mean by that? I think you know, matters like it materially matters. I mean, so how how would you? How well, would you I, say I that? 
I, I think that the flaw resides in the fact that uh, I think Pope Francis and many of the people surround him, and you see this in, in most progressive Catholic circles, I've seen it for 50 years, mm-hmm. a lot of them are secretly hard universalists. I, I, I think that they don't believe in hell, and I don't think that they believe that hell is... is in, and people say, aren't you a Balthazarian, and you believe that we should believe, you know, hope that yeah, all people yeah. are saved? Yeah, yeah, I hope all people yeah, are saved. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. And uh, uh, on the other hand, hell's if you read Balthazar, hell's real. Yeah. Hell is real. And there's a very, very, very real chance we might end up in there. OK, well, so what is salvation? It's not just, oh, well, I'm not going to go to hell. So I'm saying salvation is ultimately theosis. It's ultimately mm, mm, being right. elevated right. into the Trinitarian life. And that's sin right. is sin because it thwarts that assimilation, assimilation into into the divine life. It, it thwarts the reinvigoration of the divine image within us. That's why God hates it, because yeah. he wants us to be in union with the divine. He wants us to become other Christ, like unto Christ. Yeah. But sin keeps uh, keeps in the way of that. And yet it seems as if what these guys are saying is that that process can go forward regardless of your sins, regardless well, of how you resist. Well, I, maybe, maybe, I don't know, try this one, Larry. I mean, I, I sort of wonder... It's easy, I think, to see, you know, that 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 you know they sort of a, a cloaked universalism, <clears throat> you know, but but I would even question that further because you know while it's probably easy to get somebody on record to say that you know that they don't really believe in hell uh, the way that that we have, yeah, come to understand it um, through the church um, through the ages, but but i wonder actually if it's not that they don't believe in hell but they they actually don't believe in a supernatural heaven it could very well be do, do you see what i mean in other words well it goes along with my of, theme go ahead i was just going to say cuz cuz part of what we are called to do you know as wayfarers right is to we are are in essence you know goodness and virtue and blessedness um are practicing uh in in the now for the now after, right? That 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 we are, you know, as Dante would have it, and others have have it. You know, we are called to uh, sing the Sanctus 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 in perpetuity with with God and 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 the heavenly hosts, right? That 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 is what we're preparing for. And so I wonder, actually, if they don't even they don't really believe in that. That's well, thank that. you. Yeah, you know, I agree. Thank you for calling me back to my own first principles, because my blog started four years ago with a ringing, a ringing denunciation of the de facto atheism that right. is at the heart of right. the church. And that, that's and really it, what I. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Go, go. So, so, what, what so univers- universalism is therefore just a kind of backstop. Like if if, <laughs> if the pitch goes wild, in other words, that they don't really believe in supernatural things. You're right. And they don't really, therefore, believe in either heaven or hell. It, it, they might say intellectually that they do, but what's uh-huh. in their soul? What's in their faith? What is in their heart? They're, they are purely in what Charles Taylor would say in the imminent frame. That's right. That's right. They live yeah. purely horizontally. Uh, and they have buffered selves. I saw and you said and that's yeah. That's you said the on dirty, Twitter today something about that. Go ahead. Yeah, and then that's the dirty secret of of of, of Taylor's schema, right? Is that the if if you don't believe in 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 a in a, in a spirit filled spirit moved universe, right? That that then you know not only does that have implications uh, materially, you know that materially is there's no such thing as material because it doesn't matter. Um, but there's also then sort of weirdly no such thing as spirit, right? It it it's right. uh, it's a uh, yeah. 
it is a disbelief in the order of creation. You know, so in the, if, if, if I'm thinking in these terms, then it's like, no wonder, um, you know, that they get mad at you or me who would suggest, you know, that we deny ourselves, you know, it's, uh, you know, that, that anyone is, you know, the call to holiness is a, is, is fundamentally a call to suffering and sacrifice, you know, because they're sort of like, well, what for? What for? What for? More than that, they have elevated bodily pleasures and the, and the pleasures of this life from penultimate realities to ultimate realities. That's right. That's right. Precisely because they're de facto atheists and don't really believe in a next life or in the supernatural, whether they want to admit it or not, earthly pleasures are the ultimate happiness that we have. You people like you and I, like you are saying then, Mm -hmm. well, if you are afflicted with the cross of deep seated same sex attraction, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to work in your life at being chaste and, and celibate and so on. They look at us like Cardinal McRoy flat out said, you know, that this is outrageously cruel to well, accept. sick. Yeah. I was going to say sick oh, and twisted yeah, on our part. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cardinal Holerick has said, you know, who's later general of the Senate, you know, you're asking people to, to, this is a, a kind of sacrifice that is just way, it's almost cruel to ask of them. Sure. <clears throat> well, it's only cruel, right? If, if sexual fulfillment is, the, the an, an ultimate value of some kind right that's right that's right that's right and you know <clears throat> you know i sort of wonder yeah anyway, i don't want to get off on that uh, that, that side that that side show but i do i agree i think that that my intuition is exactly you know what sort of originally drew me to your work was your insistence on the de facto nihilism you know that we're seeing all right so therefore so okay so let, let let's grant that we're granting all we're, we have granted all these things and so here we are um you know, still, I, I, what are we to do with all of that? That that we are we are working here with um, a, a reality in which the people who have been tasked with minding the shop, right? Yeah, you know, because you know, as much as you know, our, our you know our, our your our detractors on on say Twitter. Um, think that you people like you and me have way too much influence like you know you and i are about as far from the the center uh of um yeah. uh power uh so to speak as as it could possibly be we just happen to be two loud guys um you know on on in our respective platforms but you know like the people who have been put in charge of the shop um seem hell-bent on plundering the shop Right. Yeah. yeah and and do. and and robbing the shop of its witness, not to the now, although it doesn't certainly in the call for justice, it does not neglect the now, um, but without reference to ultimate things. Like I, I love it. You just said that, right? It's like it's it's taken the ultimate things and sort of flushed those aside, erased those, or just kind of whatever, cut them off, and then made the penultimate things the ultimate things. And yeah. like, well, that's a problem. Yeah, Augusto Danoche, the philosopher, the late Italian philosopher, refers to this as the cult of material well-being. Yeah. 
uh, yeah. uh, the, because of the bourgeois cult of material right. world. Right. I'm perfectly aware of how loaded the term bourgeois is. Every single time I use the word bourgeois in something I write, some some person always gets a hold of me and says, you do understand, right, that the Marxists and the fascists were condemnatory and use the word bourgeois. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. yeah. Color, color me aware. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah color me aware of that. OK, but it's been used in other ways simply to yeah. mean that there's a mindset, as Berday have said, Dorothy Day yeah, said, right, Augusto right, Noche, there's right. a, uh, Tracy Rowland, a modern theologian says, there is a mindset that modern consumerist, capitalist, Western culture has created within the middle-class mind. Oh, there, yeah. I, used, I avoided the use of the word bourgeois, yes, all right? the middle-class yeah. mind. Yeah. And, yeah. Th and that ethos is that there's nothing more important than material well-being. You may not say that consciously to yourself, right. but those are the values of your heart. So that anytime I yeah. write anything about holiness or sanctity or yeah. the need for lay people to live lives of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and so on, the evangelical councils, the sermon, the, I get blowback saying, well, what do you say? Are you saying that we can't have any money at all or a nice house or how do I do this with, you know, five kids and so on and so on and so forth? I don't know. I can't I can't pound those square pegs into those round holes for you. All I can tell you is that there is something inimical to living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you if you've reduced the gospel to living out the American way of life, let's put right. it out. Yeah, and it, it seems like the people in charge of our church today are intent on reducing the gospel to just that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, the, I think the easy answer and, and the correct answer, I think, is ultimately we should always carry with us a sense of holy detachment um, to those things, um, whether they're a sort of a bourgeois lifestyle or not. But, you know, a sense of detachment, you know, that these are yeah. um, like 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 all things fleeting. Right. And that that our eye has to always have uh, an eye toward uh, the ultimate, an eye toward the infinite and an eye toward the 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 the, the true ends. Right. As in destiny, uh, as in telos. Right. And, and I I. You know, when you get pulled into these kind of squabbles um, with folks, you know, and, and they'll say like, oh, you how could you possibly, you know, um, it's easy for you to say, Kale, you're a, you know, you're a, um, um, you know, a, a white um, heterosexual male in America. It's easy for you. But, you know, you're asking them, uh, you know, them, capital T H, them to to, you know, to an impossible uh, level of sacrifice. And I always just want to say, like, with all due respect. Do you want to come walk around with me? I mean, like, do you, yeah. it's a weird sort of, um, you know, straw man version of, you know, a me, uh, you know, or a you or, or, you know, a friend or, you know, it's like, it's as if, you know, certain people get a, a, an absolute free pass, right. To do, you know, whatever they want. And then the other people don't get one. And it's like, you just do not understand people then. You don't understand what people go through. If, That's right. If, if you think that that is the place from whence this comes from a me, I, I just I, I, I get frustrated with that one. Well, yeah. And let's go back to what we were talking about before. The fact that Jesus sets a high bar, but then is endlessly compassionate and forgiving as people gradually walk that path, mm -hmm. you know, to to that high bar. All we're saying is, look, you know, if, if you want to live the gospel, there are certain aspects of American culture that are inimical to that right. gospel that you have to reject. That's okay. Right. And, and, and there, and then to hold yourself to a high standard as the church does 
even if you fall a lot, you know, right. do I live poverty, chastity, obedience perfectly? Hell no. Right. Right. right? But right, at, right. My, the point is, at least I affirm that that's what I should be doing. Yeah. And I affirm that, therefore, there are ways in which living a standard. That's why I quit my job. That's right. You know, my lucrative job in Lehigh Valley in yeah. Northeast PA and sold my wonderful little house in the burbs and moved mm -hmm. to this ramshackle beat up crap <laughs> yeah, farm. Yeah you know, in, in dog breath, Pennsylvania, living hand to mouth, <laughs> not being able to pay my bills. And I'm not tooting my own horn yeah. at all. I'm not a holy person at all. I'm just saying, you know, don't come at me with your stuff about, well, how can I have a, uh, I've got a McMansion and two kids That's right. and That's right. three, uh, you tell me I need to get rid of my BMW in favor of uh whatever, a Chevy. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm saying and, that. And the answer is could be maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe right you know so to me to me this is this is the genius of um a good man is hard to find right uh you know a good man is hard to find flannery kind of short story probably the number one um anthologized uh, of her stories and and i think in certain respects probably her best it's it's her most well-wrought one anyway you know the tagline of course is that you know she would have been a great woman if she would have had somebody to um kill her every day of her life or something to that effect and and the point of course is that um it is very tempting to fall into a kind of ease right and, and to me that 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 what we have to constantly be on guard about is uh, a sense of ease right that that in fact the yeah. gospel is an uneasy call right that this is part of the paradox that you know that that I think you're talking about but the you know it's very easy to fall into or 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 or, or to um, guard ourselves against the kind of unease. And so, you know, you look back, well, what are practices that that Catholics have done throughout the ages? You know, um, you know, what are some practices that, well, you know, I mean, you know, why did the chancellor of the realm, uh, you know, Sir Thomas More, um, uh, on occasion wear a hair shirt? Right. And I can hear people in the, in the, in the comment section, right? Oh, well, that, that just means he was sort of a medieval weirdo and, and all these kinds of things. And I say, you know what, before you were too quick to judge, why don't you take just a moment to think about how sophisticated and intelligent and real that man was. And, and then ask the question, instead of, instead of, you know, shaming it, say, why, why would somebody like Sir Thomas More do that? What did he want? What did he feel he needed to be reminded of uh, on any given day? And the fact is that he's wearing rich robes with a big gold chain around his shoulders, marking him as, you know, the second in command of the realm. And he knew that it comes real easy to live an easy life right to accommodate this and accommodate that and and right. sort of go along with this and go along with that and you know like that second helping of fillet or you know that that third glass of shot you know uh, of of cabernet or whatever the equivalent would have been you know um in yeah. in his time you know it's really nice to to like you know the you know i have a i don't know you know, I have a, a Ford Explorer, but may not really love, you know, a Land Rover, like, you know, all those kinds of things. Is there anything wrong with a Landover? Absolutely no. not. There's absolutely nope. nothing wrong with those sorts of things, but it could be right. It could be the kind of that little thing. It's a little bit too easy. It's a little bit too nice. And I'm not trying to condemn those things, but I'm trying to remind us, all of us, me too, right? That, that if you're not a little uneasy, then I, I wonder if you're, maybe you're doing it wrong. Oh, I love that. I love that, uh, that it's, it's that sense of 
ease because that explains me when I was living in Lehigh Valley, I said, mm. full professor, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't wake up one day and say, Oh, this whole lifestyle is grossly sinful and I'm <laughs> going to burn in hell because yeah. I, I own a mini Cooper and a nice home in, in the suburbs. I, I suddenly realized my wife and I at the same time mm. that this life we're living is so easy. It's so comfortable. It's right. it's the suburban lifestyle equivalent of easy listening. Yeah, All right. Yeah. That's and, right. That's, and that's that's, that's right. our whole life was easy. Yeah. And and I realized I, I you know, I felt a stirring in my soul. I wanted to be challenged more. So I did something the equivalent of, I guess, of putting on a hair shirt. You know, yeah. I just yeah. I sold the stuff. I'm, no, I'm still a person of creature comforts. So don't get me wrong, but I want to bring it back to the to the opening of our conversation about about sanctity. A saint is going to be somebody who feels the need to not be at ease, who yeah. wants to keep being ever more perfected in the spiritual life, and not. And there's only ever, one way, and there's only yeah. one way, right? It's like the only way, you know, to have those sharp edges, you know, uh, curved out is sandpaper, right? Like the only way is to sort of be worked down. And, 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 and I, look, I, I see this, you know, this is such an ancient wisdom, you know, this is exactly uh, what Odysseus chooses, right? In, in his, um, in the great epic, um, you know, the Odyssey, right? You know, if if you recall, Larry, you know the first time we see Odysseus, he is um, he's in paradise. Okay, he is on a beach um, in the middle of the Mediterranean. He is the um, lover of of a goddess, and she provides everything for him: everything he wants to drink, everything he wants to eat. I would imagine that sex with a goddess is fantastic. Blah blah blah, all the things, right? And and yet we see him the first time we see him, he's crying. He's beside himself, and he is a man who has no meaning. He has no purpose. Everything is easy, right? And so all of what then will ensue is his desire to go home. It certainly is a desire to go home. He does, in fact, uh, have a wife that he loves dearly and a son that he loves dearly. But part of it, part of it is his need to accept and embrace and even kind of author his own suffering. Now, I'm not suggesting that we as Catholics have to author our own suffering. Plenty will come your way if you're open to it. But I think the truth uh, <clears throat> remains there, right? Oh. That somehow the call to holiness is, and this doesn't make me comfortable to say, I should just point out to you, I don't I don't say this sort of triumphantly and, and pointing my, wagging my finger at anybody, but it seems to me that the call um, uh, to holiness is a call to suffering, right? And yes. that really works against our better, you know, we want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable. I, yes. And I want a couch. I want a, I want a glass of bourbon, all those sorts of things, of course, right? But it's a suffering for. It's a That's suffering right. for right. the world, That's for right. other people. It's an empathetic entering into the sufferings of other people and that you 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 choose to sort of share in those sufferings. It's not yeah. a masochistic white right. knuckle That's asceticism right. of, right. oh, this is terrible. It's just wanting to do something more. I'm reminded my my friend Marcus Daly, who I do uh, a few podcasts with called Die Human. 
He's a casket maker. He does Marion yeah, caskets. Oh yeah. He makes these gorgeous pine caskets and anybody that is in need of a, of a casket that you want just a simple, but beautiful pine casket, get a hold of my friend Marcus Daly at Marion caskets. Uh, but one of the things he said to me was Larry, I think I spend, I think he said like 80% of my time is sanding. Yeah. Standing, yeah. standing by hand, by that hand, image, by hand. that image, yeah, standing, yeah. standing, because ultimately it's all of that sanding that brings out the beauty of the wood. Yeah. All right. You get yeah. you get down to those layers of the wood where the grain comes out yeah, yeah. and looks most beautiful. And then it's really smooth and nice and can accept the lacquer and the varnish and all those sorts of things yeah. uh, that that God wants to put on us, the, the divine lacquer and varnish that God wants. Yeah, but we have. So the, the sufferings that we take on are like the, are like my friend Marcus, the sanding of those caskets. Mm -hmm. And I like the image of the casket because it's like sanding us towards uh, one of the saints said that, for example, every single time we receive the Eucharist, it's like we are being embalmed for the resurrection. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, so in in a sense, that embalming for the resurrection of our resurrected bodies also requires us in the moral and ascetical and spiritual life to constantly be sanding, sanding, sanding away the barnacles and things that have grown onto us that that keep that embalming process from taking root, so to speak. Right, which which is so wonderfully counterintuitive, right? Because you know, I I think of this uh, so much, so often. You know, you know, you, you know, the whole the red, blue, and the blue, the the red pill and the blue pill, right? You know, and that the yeah. blue pill is a sort of a choice for oblivion, and the red pill is a choice for the truth, right? And 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 this is a this is a this is red pilling, right? And in, in, in the best sense of that, that's right. That sense, right? That that to choose your suffering, right? So that every time you choose comfort and ease over um, suffering and meaning, you know, you're you're going further and further away from truth. You're going further and further into a lie, right? And you know, and I can't help but see that as a kind of um, both an ultimate parable, but an ultimate reality for that for which we are called. And so with your question at the beginning of the podcast, you know, what does a saint look like, you know, in, in our time, you know, I can't help but feel like a saint in our time is somebody that actually is on the peripheries, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that yeah. is not in, and in an odd sort of way, this makes me, this might, might sound weird as a Catholic, but like even maybe even especially on the peripheries of the, the formal church. Not sure what that means. All well, time. well, I'm just I'm, I'm working on a I I just published like like yesterday my blog post and I'm working on something for Catholic World Report where I talk about saints on the peripheries. Mm -hmm. I think, for example, of someone like Simone Vi, yeah, yeah, uh, who um, it's hard to tell whether she was ever baptized. She was born yeah. of Jewish yeah. Jewish parents, yeah, uh, Jewish, but that she became she's in France became enamored of Catholicism, uh, but most accounts never however, got baptized. Some accounts say, yeah, she was kind of baptized by a friend when she was dying yeah. at the end yeah. and so on, but it's controversial. But the point is she remained on the very fringes of the church looking in. And, and she, she said explicitly that the re she, uh, for, despite her love for Catholicism, mm -hmm. 
and she's wrong about this, but I, I sense why. She said, I, I, I sense a need to stay outside of the church for the sake of those others who are also outside of the church. Yeah. You yeah, know, I, think about this, I think about this a lot, actually. I do. I do. You know, so uh, if I were to become an insider, I, I would no longer be of interest to the outsiders and, and therefore of no help to them. Now, like I said, ultimately, I think that the, the, the knack of the saints is to become an insider outsider, yeah. one who is yeah. both. That's right. From the center of the church, right. from the heart of Christ out into the world, which that means you have to share in Christ's kenotic descent yeah. in, into the nether regions. I like that. Be, that. That's really good. No, I think that's right. Know, I think that's a that's a top boy. It's a subtle point you're making here. But it, man, I I really feel it like that's a that's a true thing. That's so, a true thing. This this sort of this both and this insider yeah, outsider, absolutely. this liminal creature, this this threshold creature. Right. That. Wow, that's so good. And that's I think so she was a woman of powerful sanctity. I have no yeah. doubt that yeah. she's in heaven. I, I personally, in my own mind, have yeah. canonized her. And yet, mm -hmm. and yet, and yet, there's a certain kind of Catholic that would look at that and say, well, she resisted baptism. She's probably yeah. in hell. And right. it's like, well, right. oh, my God. Uh, oh, and then Aura Madeline Delbrel, uh, uh, whose writings are, have become more and more popular just recently by uh, Ignatius Press, putting out some of her writings. Uh, also uh, a, a saintly woman on, who existed. She was a Catholic, but always in a kind of alienated way. But mm -hmm. the thing is, there's a there's there are those who are alienated from the church because I don't agree with the church on the following issues. Mm -hmm. How can I be a member of the church that doesn't bless blah, 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 or sure. let me you know, love is love, you know, <clears throat> that kind of dissent. Oh, spare me, yeah. uh, because that's just a clash of orthodoxies. Mm -hmm. That simply yeah. means that you've adopted the orthodoxy of secularity and you view it as more normative than the orthodoxy of Catholicism. Right, right. That's, that's not that's not being alienated from the church. That's disagreeing from the church. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, so it reminds me of a quote from Billy Bob Thornton in some movie. Somebody says, well, that's irregular. He goes, no, irregular is when I found a human foot inside my toaster oven one day. This is just odd. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that is odd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm saying the progressive Catholic is just odd. All right. In the sense that it's just garden variety descent. Whereas truly irregular is finding that human foot in my toaster oven. That's right. I mean, it, it, that in the sense that a real alienation is a real alienation. Mm. It, it, on, on a deep, deep, deep spiritual level. And I think Madeleine Delbrell and, and Simone Valle and others. And I'm not I'm not blessing that. I'm not, in a sense, valorizing darkness and sin and right. doubt. I don't right. want to valorize that. It'd be great if they didn't feel that alienation. What I'm saying, though, is there is a kind of movement of the spirit today, I think, in certain souls, uh, victim souls, if you want to call them that, to experience mm. a kind of dark night of the soul wherein they are allowed to participate in the kind of anxiety and anguish of the modern mm. person mm. of the modern person and to help them spiritually negotiate and navigate those waters and bring them to some kind of hope to bring them ultimately, hopefully to Christ. Um, and that's the interesting thing about, and I'm not saying everyone needs to run out and become like Madeline Del Brola, Simone Vai. Yeah, yeah, you also yeah. have people like Dorothy Day, who yeah. remained in some ways alienated from the institutional church because of its stands on this, uh, uh, you know, war and mm -hmm. capitalism. But she she remained deeply embedded in the heart of the church. Mm -hmm. uh, and in some ways, therefore, I think she's more of a model in some. Uh, yeah. But anyway, people listening can think of lots of other examples of what we're maybe you can too, Kale. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I'm not, I don't have I'm, particulars don't pop into my mind, but just this sort of this, this, this framework, I think is an important one, you know, that, that um, I, I think what I love, you know, what I love talking with you about, you know, why I love talking with you about these sorts of things is that, you know, you're, you are someone who um, is not afraid of complexity, but doesn't allow the complexity to allure you into a kind of lazy nihilism. Right. That, right. that, that oftentimes, um, you know, that, that, that it kind of degenerates into that kind of lazy nihilism. And, um, no, I don't think we need that. I think we need to remember and, and keep in, you know, top of mind, uh, you know, complexity is a real thing. Um, but, but again, paradoxically, and in this sort of this back and forth that you've been talking about this insider outsider thing, um, uh, you know, uh, high, high bar, high mercy, Right. You know, I, I, I do this in my own classes. You know, I, I, I yeah. joke with my colleagues all the time, you know, that, you know, that I test aspirationally. Uh, my, my tests are hard, but I grade mercifully, you know, and, and, and yeah. my, my sense there is that I want to, I want to push my students. I want to keep them, you know, uh, going after hard things. Right. But in the end, I want to, to validate the attempt. I want to validate those oh, kinds of things. And so for I me, got, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, that, that, that is, I think what, that, that, that's the kind of sweet spot, um, you know, that I'm looking for, you know, whereas I think a lot of times we flip it, you know, we, we, we grade easy and are stingy on the rewards or stingy on the, oh, on the information. Yeah. I mean, I think every great teacher's learned. I, I once learned a great lesson from a wonderful, I old IHM nun who was a teacher mm. this years ago. Mm -hmm. And I said, what's your secret sister? She goes, I, my secret is this. I start like a tyrant and end like a grandmother. <laughs> she was That's so great. I start great. like a tyrant and end like a grandmother. You're right. Yeah, because her point was you start with a low bar. The kids are going to lower themselves yeah. down to that level immediately. Yeah. And then if you come to your senses halfway through the semester and say, oh, I need to drag them up higher. It's you've lost. It. No, yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. no way. No way. No yeah. way. Yeah. Anyway, that's exactly. So, and that's, classic. that's the church. You know, yeah, yeah. you start you high bar, high, high mercy. Yeah. Right, but, we, but we've been at this quite a while. I don't know. Maybe we should probably. Yeah, this is good, uh, man. This is good. This is uh, this can, is yeah. This is what the, this is what the soul needed, man. I, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I love about talking about you. We could just uh, tie tie all of these things together. I mean, and and I guess one of the reasons why I like talking about this kind of sanctity, this kind of modern saint, uh, the anti-hero is so yeah. common in modern film, for example, right. the anti, I don't know if it still is. It was all the rage for a while there, the anti-hero, uh, but the, the saint who isn't necessarily an anti-saint, but who breaks our expectations. I, part of it is that, you know, I live a devout Catholic life in the sense uh -huh. of the, the practice and discipline of the faith. I take very, very, very seriously, mm -hmm. frequent confession, mass all the time, the prayers, liturgy, of the hours, rosaries, uh, teaching, you know, became a theology teacher and devote my whole life to all this stuff. And yet I so I'm in the very heart and center of the church and I am a believer, obviously. Yeah. And yet there's and I'm, I bet you can resonate with this, too. There's a huge there's a huge secular part of my soul. Yeah, of because I was raised a secular middle class, you know, kid. 
Yeah. I grew up an American in the 60s and 70s, right, and right, I, I wasn't right. raised in some sort of hippie commune. I right. wasn't raised in a countercultural bohemian art colony yeah, or, an in, <laughs> right? or, an inten- or an intentional community or anything like or an that, intentional right? community. I went to your typical parish. Yeah. I got I went to public school. I got catechized yeah. once confirmed. That was it. Went through a whole to hell with religion phase before sure. I rediscovered it. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You don't leave that kind of conditioning behind. And I feel still in my soul, there's a part of me that feels alienated from the church and alienated from her message and in the sense that there's this deeply secular part of me. And I think that's why I can kind of live in both worlds. And and, and I think you're the same way. It's, I think, why we talk to each other so well. And I bet a lot of listeners right now are in that same, what I call the insider outsider. Yeah. You know we're amphibious creatures in 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 a, in a couple of different ways, and I think you really nailed this sense that you know, you know, I, I'm thoroughly American, man. You know, like I like yeah. football, and I, you know, and I like McDonald's, and you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm an American. I, uh, I, I, you know, I love McDonald's. Yeah, I'm just you know, gonna say it. Yeah, you know, and so so I I this is gonna sound all like cheesy and evangelical, right? But it's like I have a real heart. For America, like I have, a, I have, a, I have <laughs> I a heart for my American um, brothers and sisters, and you know, and and you know, and it, you know, like if I go to a football game, like a big college football game or something like that, like I love it and I hate it that I love it, you know. Yeah. But I also oh, yeah. like I'm I'm like with my people, but but they're not my people. Like I, you know, you kind of feel all the various the poles and the tensions, right? It's like why do I care about this, but I don't care about this, but I do care about this, and. And, oh, and I, for me, I, I think that the 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 faith, um, you know, uh, makes me uneasy about either totally rejecting everything or totally just throwing myself in every. You know, it's like it really kind of keeps me in that in that tension. Um, and the faith causes you. The faith gives you eyes with which to see. Mm, that's right. That's right. And therefore, an insight. And where do I need to sand? Yeah, that's where right. Do I, need I love to that. Sand? That's right. That's you know, right. but oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm American through and through, and and you know, and and, it, and it's so it's so true. I, when you were talking, it, something popped into my head, and and now it's it's kind of left. But hey, then then, then we're gonna have to save it for next time, and it has to be a next time. Yeah, there is that that sense of yeah. I I have that sort of American thing in me from my upbringing, and there's, and I, I know what it is. It's just yeah. you know the fact is you know, we're all infected with the same bacillus. That's right. And it's, and and it's, it's a way of saying that you, you can swim upstream against your culture, but you're still in the stream. Yeah. There's no sense in which a a salmon can just decide, well, I'm going to fly above the stream and just coast up there without any, no, no, I'm going to have to swim in this stream upstream and I'm going to get wet with this water. Yeah. Uh, And there's no, no way around and yeah. um, and, so and, and that's the way it has to be right i mean this, as this my friend wrong. mike Sauter said you don't go you don't go under it over it around it you go through it yeah, yeah no, i love that great awesome all right all, all right, right. so uh we'll, we'll we'll have to have part 10 or whatever yeah so, we yeah uh, we got to keep it going this has been great thank you for having me on this is uh, uh, all right you know, it was hopefully real... hopefully your audience likes it um i know for me it does me a, a world of good to be able to, to yeah. chew the fat with you so thank you larry i appreciate it all right well th- thank you kale for coming on yet again i'm sure you'll be on again mm-hmm. and thank you for everyone for listening bye now cheers <laughs>